But yeah, whenever, whenever you want to. From the Nichols Law Firm in East Lansing, Michigan, this is Ex Parte, a look at legal topics and lives in the law because either the law affects you or you affect the law. It's Thursday, December 20th, 2018, and today we're going to talk about prosecuting and defending marijuana-related cases in the new age of the Michigan Regulation and Taxation of Marijuana Act. This is not to talk about many of the very popular topics within the, we'll call it M-R-T-M-A, like dispensaries and making basically some financial remuneration from the new legalization of marijuana. This is to talk about the intersection of the criminal law, in other words, the Michigan Penal Code, especially when it comes to driving after using marijuana. Now, the first thing I want to caution both lawyers or citizens who are charged with violating the marijuana laws, whether it's operating with marijuana in your system, operating under the influence of marijuana, operating while impaired by marijuana, or straight up possession with what we used to call possession with intent to deliver, is there's a real, we'll call it a temptation to want to argue that, hey, marijuana is legal and regardless of what any other provision of the law that the prosecutor says I violated, you can't prosecute me and no jury is going to convict me. You just can't do that. You can't do that because with any situation in a criminal case, you have to be persuasive. I like to think of the three prongs of Aristotle's triangle of persuasion, ethos, pathos, logos. First, you have to be likable. And to be likable, in my opinion, and this is just my opinion, you don't walk into the courtroom and say, I'm right, the law is on my side, you're going to vote for me, you're going to vote my client not guilty, and that's just because. You have to have a dash of humility, but a dash of righteousness in your cause, but at the same token, you're not just going to be some bully or a steamroller. Now, I grant you, depending on the type of the jury you draw and the makeup of the most, we'll say, persuasive or the strongest personalities on your jury, whether it's a group of six for a misdemeanor or a group of 12 for a felony, that may change depending on the people who you're communicating with. But you have to be likable. You also have to have a logical argument, an argument that makes sense. You have to explain to them why when the burden is on the prosecution to prove the case beyond a reasonable doubt, why they haven't proved the case beyond a reasonable doubt. And it has to make sense. I've had many trials where I had something really good to say and I had a really good nugget of a thought, but I just couldn't crystallize it into a logical argument. And no matter what else, if you can't communicate a logical argument to a jury, they're probably not going to find for your client. And finally, there has to be a connection. There has to be a connection between you and the jury. Or if the judge is deciding a legal motion where you're bringing proposed facts, presenting some testimony and evidence, 
and you want the judge to make a ruling that's in your favor, you still have to be likable because it's hard for a judge, even though the judge has to follow the law, to do something that the judge doesn't want to do, especially when it's for someone for whom he doesn't want to do it. But let's talk for a minute about the current state of the law. As of now, as of today's date, December 20th of 2018, we have a conflict in the state of Michigan. Subsection 8 of Michigan Compiled Laws 257.625 says that if you are operating a motor vehicle with any amount of a Schedule One controlled substance in your system, that is a violation of the drunk driving statute. Any amount is defined as one nanogram per milliliter in your blood. That is a very, very, very small amount. Now, one nanogram, that, that cutoff level that I just described for you, that's nowhere in any law or statute that you're going to find. That's buried deep within the Michigan State Police Forensic Science Division's protocols as their what we call limit of detection. A limit of detection is a scientific term, and what it means is basically this is the lowest amount at which we can identify an analyte. In other words, the thing of interest that you're trying to determine whether it's present and if so, in how much in a sample. In this case, that would be THC, tetrahydrocannabinol, which is the active psychodynamic compound within marijuana. So is that fair? I've never thought that was fair, especially before we had the Michigan Regulation and Taxation of Marijuana Act. That's not fair at all. But now we have provisions within the MRTMA that talk about unauthorized practices or unauthorized activities. And that's at section four of the act. And that says that a person may not operate, navigate, or be in physical control of any motor vehicle, aircraft, snowmobile, off-road recreational vehicle, or motorboat while under the influence of marijuana. Something that a lot of people are, are really getting blended together is the different standards of, we'll call it, manifestations or physical effect of marijuana on a person. And it's just like with alcohol. Under the influence is a much higher standard as it describes the impact on the person. Under the influence means that it had a substantial and material effect on your mental and physical condition, your faculties, your manner of speaking, your way of walking, talking, judgment. And that's from a case called People versus Lambert, as cited by the Michigan Supreme Court in another case called People versus Kuhn, K-O-O-N. Contrast that with the standard of operating while visibly impaired. So operating while visibly impaired is a much lower standard of effect. Marijuana only has to affect you to the point that you drive with less ability than an ordinary careful driver. So think about those terms and those words. Less ability, man, that's a very low standard that seems almost subjective, right? Well, that's what impairment is. Operating under the influence means substantial and material effect. 
the person must have driving ability that is substantially lessened. Substantially. That's not just a little bit. That's a lot, to my way of thinking. So consider that. And then consider the other thing that we did with the um, illegal activities clause. And again, this is section four of the MRTMA. We kind of changed the standard for operating because we added a term which is physical control of any motor vehicle. The way the law always has been applied, let's say in a drunk driving case, operating means the car has to be in gear, the engine has to be on, you have to be somehow in a manner that the vehicle can um, move into a position of danger to the safety of persons or property. Physical control, to me, means something a little bit different. And we have to be careful about that because right now we don't have any appellate decisions interpreting what physical control means. But again, for the lawyer and for the citizen, without being rude, don't go half-cocked into a courtroom saying, I wasn't in physical control of this motor vehicle. I wasn't driving. Nobody saw me drive. I wasn't behind the wheel. The engine wasn't on. The car wasn't in gear. Physical control in a lot of states simply means you've got access to the keys, even if you're not in the vehicle. So be careful about that. And a point I want to make for everybody is, yes, the MRTMA voter initiative petition passed with 2,356,422 people voting for it. But by God, 1,859,675 people voted against it. And depending on the venue, the jurisdiction, where your case is heard, you might find a whole lot of people who simply disagree with that act. So be careful. Now, we don't have any appellate cases saying that the MRTMA standard of under the influence trumps what we've always had, which is the Michigan Vehicle Code standard of any amount. We don't have any appellate cases just yet. And I know a lot of lawyers, and I happen to agree with that category of lawyers who say, well, the law is pretty clear. It says that notwithstanding any other law, this is what controls, as in the MRTMA. And, and I do tend to agree that under the influence is really the new standard now for people who use marijuana and then operate a motor vehicle. But I would suggest to you that based on the scientific studies that I have seen, it would be folly, it would be dangerous, it would be risking your liberty and your criminal record to get behind the wheel if you've smoked within the last two, we'll say even three hours before or after, rather, you've ingested marijuana. So let's talk about the science. There are some studies out there that are important because they tend to say that there is no correlation. In other words, there is no level of marijuana that can be measurable or detectable by even the most sensitive or least sensitive equipment. That means somebody is impaired. That would be sort of a famous study by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the AAA Insurance Company. 
the NHTSA, we'll say NHTSA as a shorthand term, and AAA study in 2016 said that we can't say that there is a level that correlates to somebody being affected by the amount of marijuana that is in that person's system if it's detected by, let's say, the Michigan State Police Forensic Science Division. That is the most recent group of studies that are recognized by both sides of the fence. I say that because we've had movements in our state legislature to create a cutoff level. The most recent effort was legislation proposed by a former state rep named, or soon to be former state rep named Clint Kesto, who proposed five nanograms per milliliter. And that's based on what some other states have done. That bill never passed. And so right now we don't have a, shall we say, per se level or level where you are presumed and you can rebut that presumption to have been affected by the marijuana that was in your system. We do have a commission that was created by law in the 2016 legislative session. The impaired driving study says that the Michigan State Police shall create a commission and that commission shall identify sources for grants to assist in defraying the cost of researching the effects of marijuana on driving and must fund a research program at a public research university to determine the appropriate threshold of THC bodily alcohol content to provide evidence for per se impaired driving. Now I don't like that because when you say the level, it presupposes that there is a level. And I don't know that there is research to back that up. It also says, collect and analyze information regarding marijuana-induced impaired driving and THC bodily alcohol content impairment thresholds. It also requires the commission to review and analyze research state laws, other states, including Michigan, relating to THC bodily content thresholds that provide evidence for per se impaired driving. And then file a final report with the governor, the leader of the Senate, and the Speaker of the House regarding what it's done. I don't know if they've done that, and it's been not quite two years since the effective date of this statute, so we're off on a bad foot in that they haven't even provided the report that they were supposed to provide under the law. We need to continue to research the effects of marijuana, not only on our systems while we're driving, what it does to our fine motor skills, our gross motor skills, our ability to process information while we are behind the wheel. But generally speaking, employers need to know, people with custody cases where the other parent might be a heavy marijuana user, judges for those situations need to know. We as a society, and fortunately as more states tend to legalize marijuana. Perhaps at some point we won't have marijuana as a Schedule One controlled substance and we can start federally funding research into the effects of marijuana on people and really understand the science and the pharmacology and back away from all of the media-created stereotypes and go back and forth with our personal, personal beliefs and our passions about marijuana as a potentially useful but potentially harmful and addictive 
controlled substance. I'm Mike Nichols. You can find me at mnichols at nichollslaw.net or at our website, nichollslawyers.com, where we're committed to results. Thank you.